Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share the experience of Mandy from Enderf.org. Mandy says, On May 25th, 1992, I was scheduled for a 3.30 p.m. gallbladder surgery. My hospital stay was to be 23 hours. My parents drove me to the hospital around noon and told me they had a few errands to run and they would be back before surgery. I checked in and was taken to a hospital room to wait. At around 1 p.m., the nurse came in and said they were going to take me to surgery early because they had a cancellation. It was Friday and the doctors wanted to leave early. Neither my parents nor son knew I was going to go into surgery earlier, or early as I could not reach them. To prepare me, the medical team gave me something that would relax me. My family doctor, who was assisting the specialist, came in to see me and tell me he was there. The next thing that happened was unbelievable. It was like I was being sucked out of my body fast, faster than words can explain. There's not anything on this earth that can explain how fast this all happened. First, there was an incredibly bright light. Since seeing that light, I wear glasses full time as I cannot see without them. When I was fully able to adjust my eyes to the light, I looked around and I was in a beautiful area that was huge, maybe five to eight football fields in size. The grass was all green. The area smelt of roses and other flowers, and there were rows of people being greeted by other people, spirits, that had died and gone before us. I looked to my right and to my left. Then I looked in front of me, and there were all of my relatives and friends that had died, standing in the order that they had died. For example, my grandfather Loop was the first person I remember dying. He died in 1955 when I was 10 years old. So he was the first person in line on the other side. There were only people that I loved and cared about deeply that had passed on before me. On the right side was my grandmother. She passed on in 1991 at 92 years old. She was the first person I talked to and asked her, Grandma, why are you over there and not on the side with the, all the other people? She was sitting in her green chair that she loved so much, and she was doing something with her hands. Possibly she was crocheting because she loved crochet, but had not been able to crochet in her last few years because of her eyesight. She looked up at me and, in Spanish, my grandmother spoke very little English, told me I have a little bit more to do, and that then I would go with the rest of them. I turned back to my grandfather and told him how much I missed him and how happy I was to see him. There were about 12 people in that line. I spoke with each and every one of them briefly, but had a longer discussion with my uncle Donald. Donald is my dad's brother who drowned June 30th, 1989. I may not be correct on the year. He was about 60 years old. I spoke with him, and he told me to give his brother Joe a message. He told me what I was to tell his brother for him. As I was getting ready to ask him another question, I looked up and saw my nephew floating above the others. He was not on the right or the left. He was just floating around. I asked him, Richard, what are you doing up there? 
he answered. It was not my time. I have to stay here until it is my time. My nephew Richard committed suicide in September 1989. I felt hurt in my heart to know he was not able to be at peace. At that time, I felt that I wanted to be in the warmth and comfort of these family members, and I decided I was going to cross over when my grandfather put his hand up and said, No, you can't come yet. I asked, Why not? He did not say a word, only looked up, and I looked up to see what he was seeing. I can't even describe what it was, but I guess in order to put it into words, I would have to say, in the sky, above this multitude of people, spirits, was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I have been Catholic all my life and didn't really understand what the three-in-one meant, but I do now. The most peaceful feeling came over me, and I realized it was our dear Lord. I told him I wanted to stay. He said I could not. I asked, why not? His voice was, you need to go back and finish what I need you to do. I started crying because I did not want to leave this beautiful, peaceful place that I had found. He said, don't cry. You will see me again one more time before you see me for the final time. Next thing I knew, I was being sucked out of this wonderful place. As I was going back, I saw my doctor thumping me in the chest and asking the Lord to help him bring me back. I asked him about that much later, and in return, he asked me how I knew it, because he had been saying that to himself, not out loud. I woke up in the intensive coronary care unit. I was to have my gallstone removed via laser. However, when they inflated my stomach, they gave me too much air and put too much pressure on my aorta. They lost me for one minute and 25 seconds. That minute and 25 seconds were more important or were more wonderful than my whole life has been. It was the most incredible experience I have ever had. Wow. Wow. That's the end of the experience. But wow. Uh, I, I, just that point that she says that the 25 or the minute and 25 seconds were more wonderful than my whole life has been just reflects to me that, you know, while we should not rush death, which she makes that point here, and we'll talk about that in a minute, um, while we shouldn't rush death, it's certainly something we can gratefully and joyfully look forward to. That's what we're headed for, this incredible experience that she says was the greatest, or more wonderful than any experience she ever had in her entire life. But let's go back. She talks about this huge area that she finds herself in, in this beautiful, intense light. No, the, the light came first. So intense that she feels like it spoiled her vision later. Now, you know, medically speaking, that may or may not be the case. It may be that just her spiritual eyes were seeing this bright light. But regardless, it, it doesn't matter because, you know, and, and it, you know, the vision problems may have been a result of the medical condition that her body went through. But even if it is, whether it's the case or not, you know, she saw this glorious, beautiful light. 
And then she finds herself in this beautiful area that's like five football fields in size. And she says that grass was all green. The area smelled of roses and other flowers. And there were rows of people being greeted by other spirits who had died and gone before us. And then she talks about these two, these lines of people that had died. They're, they're standing in the order of when they had died. And it's kind of unclear. It almost sounds like um, the people that she knew that had died, it was like first in line was the first to die, and then going back and so forth. But then her grandma was separated from the group and uh, doesn't seem to be standing in these lines. And she asks her, what, why aren't you with all the other people? And she tells her in Spanish, which is her, her grandma's uh, native language, that you have a little bit more to do, and then I will go to rest. Go with the rest of them. Now, I'm not clear if it's the grandma saying, I have a little bit more to do, and then I will go rest with them. Or if she's there to say, you have a little bit more to do, and then you'll go uh, to rest with them. Or maybe after you... <laughs> um, have a little bit more to do, and then I will go rest with them, and whatever, I don't know, it's not clear, but uh, she has a little bit more to do, and then she'll go to rest, and then she talks to her grandfather and her uncle Donald, um, and then she talks about her nephew, it, well, let's see, it was her nephew, right? Yeah, her nephew, Richard, who is floating above the others, he's not really joining them. He's he's kind of separated from them. And, and she's not clear on if this separation is just a physical um, separation of, of a certain distance, or if this is a separation of different realms. Because she says um, that um, I looked up and saw my nephew floating above the others. He was not on the right or the left. He was just floating around. And she says... Richard, what are you doing up there? And he says, it was not my time. I have to stay here until it is my time. Now, he had committed suicide. You know, I hear people, when people ask questions at conferences and things, and they ask someone who has been to the other side, or maybe who studies these things, and they ask them, you know, what about the suicides? And you almost always get, you know what, they're still in a place of beauty also. Or that they're in a place, you know, that's difficult, but they will join them in the light later. You know, you get a blanket answer. Like, this is what happens to the suicides. But what I'm seeing is that it depends on the person. It depends. Now, one thing seems to come through. There is hope for all. Okay? Whatever that hope means for different people, it looks like for this nephew, his hope comes in the, in the idea that he will be able to come and join them, but he's got to complete the time that he should have completed on earth. Now, or maybe he, it's that he needs to learn the lessons that he was, he was going to earth to learn, and then we'll be able to return with them. He says, it was not my time. I have to stay here until it is my time. And she says that she was hurt to, in her heart to know that he was not able to be at peace yet. Now, sounds from what he says that his peace will come, but it's not his time yet. 
And so that reiterates to me that while suicide does not doom one to eternal hell, so to speak, it does cut short the lessons that were intended to be learned, which means they've got to be learned on the other side. They've got to be learned on that side. And I guess the message from that, if I could give any blanket statement, it is that there are certain things that we come in this life to learn, and suicide is not intended as the way that we leave. So when we commit suicide, it's almost always premature death, which means that they have to learn those lessons on the other side. Can they? Will they? Yes. Yes, they will. And they can. And they will learn them. And, uh, and they will have help in, in uh, learning them. But they do have to learn them. So it's really not a shortcut. It's really not the quick way. Because you're going to have to learn those things. For, for Richard, he has to stay in some other state until it is his time. Whether that means the uh, year that he would have died, or whether it means the uh, when he finally learns the lessons that he was intended to learn, then he can continue on. It, it's not clear, but the point is, is that he cut his time short, so he, he has to make up for it there in some way. Not as a punishment, not as a punishment, but as a way of completing the lessons that he came here to do. If he's not going to learn them here, he's got to learn them there. So, interesting. And then I love how she describes that her grandfather, after saying, you can't come yet, and, and she says, why not? You know, he signals upward, and he looks up, she looks up and sees people, this, or sorry, above the people, he sees the Father, she sees the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now, all it says as a description of what this is like is, I've been a Catholic all my life and didn't really understand what three in one meant, but I know now. Unfortunately, she doesn't elaborate. <laughs> but uh, what she does say is that she got to have a conversation with the Lord, and the Lord tells her, you know, basically tells her, you need to come back. Don't cry. You will see me again one more time before you see me for the final time. Now, whether that final time is the, uh, is the time when she returns at death, or whether that's, you know, the final time as in, I don't know, a time that Christ returns to the earth or what, I don't know. You know, maybe that one more time before is the time of her death and then see him. I don't know. I, it's not clear. She doesn't say, but it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. And the next thing she knows, she's sucked back into um, this life. And um, she, there was a couple of little things, like the doctor um, was asking the Lord to bring her back. He's, he's praying in his mind, and she talks to him about that, you know, that his prayer was answered. And he's like, how did you know about my prayer? Well, he told me. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting, very interesting. So, beautiful experience by Mandy. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming a monthly uh, contributor. 
um, on that site. I think you can choose any amount that you would like to do. Um, we have a few contributors for which I, I want to again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It, it, just, it just keeps me going to know that, that uh, this is touching enough lives that people are willing to reach out in, in that way to uh, help out with it. But even if you're just listening, I would love to hear from many of you, be it through a comment by uh, emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com <coughs> or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. You can also leave a review on iTunes. That helps iTunes to know that people are listening and that they are interacting with the podcast and therefore it puts it higher on the search list when somebody looks for you know near-death experiences on itunes it's more likely to bring it high on the list for them so that they can come across it and so forth so it does help people find it and with that thank you all of you again so much for listening